Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. There are folks out there, over here, around yonder. All over the world. Let in sync. Daft Punk. What's up, Fungal Associates? Welcome to Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees and other related topics. I am one of your hosts. My name is Alex Croson. And of course, I am here with Mr. KC Clap. Hello, everyone. Hello, KC. It is I, Casey Clap. Wow. I'm sorry. I don't know what my mouth just did right now. <laughs> I don't. I don't know either. You made a little Google Google gobble. Yeah, I was trying to say trying to say like six things at once. Do you ever do that? Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. Your mouth makes sixteen different formulations, and yes. it just comes out as almost vomit. It's like a four lane highway coming to one yeah, lane. Yeah yeah yeah. And exactly. you're like, yeah. What's my mouth gonna say? Yeah. Then you have to like. I was trying to say, and then, you, you know, that's when you got your, your single file line <laughs> of words. Exactly. Um, Casey, you, you have a little something. I do. One, uh, wanted to big, uh, give a shout out to one of our fungal yes. associates, old Glenn. Uh, old hey Glenn. Glenn. Hey Glenn. Glenn sent us a, uh, a book. <clears throat> now we get a lot of books from, you know, certain people every now and then. Usually they're like publishers. Old Glenn. Well, yeah, what the fuck did old Glenn send you? A book. <laughs> the book is called Trees of Napa Valley and it's written by Glenn's uncle. Wow. And it's really great. So it's just kind of this nice, uh, single, single profile page oh of, uh, of a bunch of different trees that would grow in that area. Hey, toss that over here. Like a nice little binding. There you go. A little note that says... Uh, from your fungal associate. Thanks, guys, for all the all the fun, enthusiastic tree stuff. Well, how about that? Thank you, Glenn. I appreciate you reaching out and uh, offering to send this uh, this little piece of your history to us. We really appreciate it. This is a beautiful book. It is, and I'm actively writing a, a tree identification book for yes. the common trees of uh, Portland and the Pacific Northwest, kind of in a larger sense. So it's nice to add this to the collection of of books of some place. Yeah, you've been sort of you've been sort of. Um R and D style, yeah. kind of just like collecting all of these very mm-hmm. hyper regional tree books. Yeah, exactly. Um, and because because you're writing your own, Casey, trying to write my own, which is ironically hyper regional and not hyper regional all at the same time. Wow, there's yeah. something to that. How do you do that? Well, Casey, we wish you luck on your book journey. You're doing Thank a great you. job. I'm very proud Thank of you. you. You're you're just absolutely killing yourself with work, but I am. it's going to be worth it. it. I sure as heck hope so. <laughs> it should be a lot of fun to do once I... Uh, well, actually, I'm basically done with the photos now. Yeah, at least wow. For the broadleaf trees, I did not take almost any photos of the oh, evergreen plants. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. yeah well... <laughs> 
<laughs> Every time I'm like, sweet, I'm almost done. I realize I'm only halfway done with half of the book. You are you are more than halfway because there's more broadleaf trees than there are conifers. Okay, I suppose that's fair. Yeah, I'll take that. By a wide margin. I appreciate your support, Alex. You're, you're doing great, Casey. We're Thank all you. very proud of you. Um, fun. Casey, today we have a very fun... We have a very interesting conversation. A very happy, uh, go lucky conversation that will be. Uh, mm. <laughs> I was yeah, gonna no. say, yeah. It, I don't. We're we're doing it in a way, Alex. You're right. Where it's gonna be nice, but then as you look deeper into it, you're like, oh. Most of the things we talk about are that way, Casey. <laughs> I know. Unfortunately, uh, um, sorry, Alex. <laughs> but today we are talking about uh, the trees of Disneyland. Yes, Casey. I'm going to Disneyland That's with right, my partner. No kids. Oh, just two, man. two cringy adults enjoying the time of their <laughs> life. And um, I, of course, you know, I'm into trees. Uh, and I wanted to talk about the trees of Disneyland. Yeah. Whatever that meant to you or me or anyone. And we've got a great discussion. And that discussion is anchored around our tree this week, which is the Canary Island Date Palm. That is right. That's Phoenix Canariensis for those of you who are thinking day palm. No, it's not that one. And uh, release your clutched pearls. (laughs) This is not a tree technically. Well, yeah, I suppose it's not. But but I, yeah, I I guess it's. We we made we made the decision a long time ago that uh, palms were lowercase t trees. Yes, I think that's I think that's fair. They're Which very tree like is something that we would include on a lowercase scientific show. <laughs> yes. Oh wow, my whole existence is lowercase lowercase e. <laughs> uh, I'm lowercase Alex, lowercase c. Crescent. How's it going? <laughs> I'm deserved that capital letter. Hey, but we gotta talk about all this after a break. We will be right back with the trees of Disneyland here on Completely Arbitrary. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Today we are talking the Canary Island date palm. That's right. And more broadly, we are talking the trees of Disneyland. I think more accurately, Alex, we're talking about the trees that are slash were growing on the land that we now call Disney. Yes. I think that... Uh, yes, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This all kind of stemmed from... My guilt of going to Disneyland. <laughs> so you're like, Casey, could you help me navigate this? And I'm like, well, Alex. This felt like a very, uh, this felt like a responsible uh, way to to approach that fun vacation, yeah. you know, to do your homework <laughs> and uh, just, and, and uh, kind of 
look at Disneyland for what it is ecologically, yeah. you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then go have fun. Right. I think that is very fair. You have to be able to look at it, acknowledge it, and then say, okay, and now I'm, yes. I'm going to go get some little ears, some cotton candy, <laughs> one of those little fake pirate guns, and it's going to be sweet. I'm looking forward to churros. I think that's the only oh, Disneyland yeah, food I want to get. right. And a Dole Whip. But yeah. I um, Wait, the, a Dole Whip? Yeah. What it's like that? a It's like pineapple soft serve. Oh, I see. Gotcha. But uh, the food is exorbitantly priced. I will not be partaking. I in, would be imagining yeah. so. Yeah. The uh, water is like four twenty five or something. Wow. Crazy. Oh, my God. God. Well, Casey, let's imagine with great joy that you and I, uh, and Lily's there too, my partner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was gonna say there's at least one. We are walking through Disneyland. Maybe we're maybe we're going to Adventureland. Actually, we are going to Adventureland, Casey. I was gonna say very explicitly, I believe so. We're going near the uh the Indiana Jones area. Yes, I think, or something yes. like that. It's right outside the jungle cruise yes. that our tree at our Thank tree you. today. Let's imagine we're walking up to the jungle cruise to take a cruise. And we come across what is uh, formally called the specimen that we are talking about, and specifically today, the Dominguez yes. palm, which is a Canary Island date palm. Casey, yes. let's ID this tree. Let's do it. So what I love about uh, about this particular tree is that it is the only living tree that was growing on the land that is now Disneyland. How about that? Uh, since before it was owned, operated, done anything by Disneyland. Yeah, they effectively Disney. built the park around this tree. Kind of. And I actually, know not like specifically, but... Well, so I am actually not 100% sure of that. Hmm. I've read two different accounts. One saying that it's in the exact location that it's always been. Oh. And another said that I, I'm more inclined to believe that it was... Uh, bald and burlapped, dug up, yeah. moved, and then planted back to where it is today. It being in the exact location is a little bit um, Disney-fied. You know uh, what I mean? Yeah. While researching this, you and I both found a lot of like a lot of like magical facts. Like, <laughs> can you believe that they didn't even move the tree? It's like, well, that's probably a lie. Uh, they probably did. Probably yeah. But to say that it's still in its original place is very like a Disneyfication of yeah. that, of that history. Exactly. It's like, I, I don't know if they, I, I feel like it was just someone might've thought that, mm. but then if you did the research that it would have said, well, actually that plot of land, like you can go back to the records yeah. is actually where California adventure is today. So then they they had to have picked it up because it's not in the adventure park. It's in the Disneyland proper yeah, park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all very confusing. Wow. And of course, like you said, everything is Disneyfied. Yeah. So you're like, well, I, 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 what is there to believe here? Right. It's hard to find. It's hard to find. Uh, it's hard to find facts about Disney that aren't like controlled by Disney. Yeah. Uh, which is a very interesting kind of spooky thing. Yeah. Honestly, you can kind of imagine them as government. You know. Yeah. Something. Real. I mean. The, yeah. It's a small little town. Absolutely. It's a whole land. What am I saying? It's a small world, Casey. It is a (laughs) small world. (laughs) Well, speaking of small worlds, the Canary Island Palm Phoenix Canariensis. Wow. Is the scientific name. So uh, the Canary Island date palm is from the, as you probably guessed it, Canary Islands, Norfolk Island in Spain. And Mm. these are endemic to just that island. They grow on these, like, uh, I think there's seven scattered islands in this area. That is where they initially were growing. Wow. 100%. And they are these big, big palm trees that are like very iconic 
in almost every semi-tropical kind of place. Yeah. So these are the trees that you'd famously see lining boulevards in California, oh, Las yeah. Vegas, and in the Riviera over in the Mediterranean parts of Spain and France and that kind of thing. There's sort of a, a what is it, typical, uh, typic, monotypic, or um, like when a tree is like the perfect example of that kind of tree. Oh, this is yes. sort of like the this is sort of like a cartoon palm. Like if yes. you think of a palm, this is the palm. Archetype. Archetype. Archetypical. Archetypical. Or archetypal. Yes. yes, it is the archetype <laughs> of that. It is. It is exactly that. This yeah. is the palm. When you think of palms, there's either. I think I would probably argue there's like two versions. Mm. This is one of those two. And then and there's I'll, like the really tall, spindly one. Well, this is the same kind. Oh, okay. But it actually comes down to the leaves. Oh. But you're not. You're not wrong. This is 100 that that same kind of tree. Monotypic. That means it's the only one in its genus, which is right. not the case for this. That's right, Casey. I have a I have a quick theory on its uh, scientific name. Please. Phoenix. Yeah. A phoenix is a mythical creature. It's uh-huh. a bird yep. that when it dies, it kind of explodes into ash. Yeah. And then after a, after a time, it is reborn from those ashes in a big yeah. flash of flame, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this tree does look a lot like a fountain of flames. It kind of like, does, yeah, green flame. Like a big flame, explosion. Yeah. Right? And that's my theory. I think that's a great theory. I'm not going to look anything into it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Please yeah, don't yeah. fact check. Sticking with it. <laughs> So this is um, this is the kind of palm that has um, the very standard pennate f- palm fronds. Mm. Now I say very standard because it's a very standard way that palms grow. They have these long, big floofs on the the top of the very central stem. Which, if you remember our last talk about palms, which was shoot, I don't know, year and a half ago, Yeah, we noted that palms only have one single meristem growing on the very top. Now, at that time, we were talking about Trachycarpus fortuni, otherwise known as the chasin palm. Oh, how do you remember this stuff? Oh, years and years of it being tested. <laughs> that was it. Um, so that tree is a fan palm, which is the other kind of big archetypal kind of frond, ah. where they come out and they have palmate uh, leaves or palmate leaflets coming out. And so that is a uh, fan yes. palm. Yeah, it has the palmate style leaves. Mm-hmm. Please don't get palm and palmate confused here, by the way, everyone. Irrelevant. This is the kind of a kind of uh, palm frond that, you know, you would yeah. you would uh, cool down Cleopatra with. Precisely, yeah. Which, ironically, would have actually been probably a different kind of oh, palm, funny. more or less. Like a date palm? Yeah, but there's like 10 or... Uh, 2,500 species. So there's probably a fan palm in the Egyptian area. You're probably right. I haven't looked into it too (laughs) closely. Um, So this is a a big single-stemmed palm tree. Palm trees, generally speaking, only have that one single stem with one single meristem at the very tippy top. Mm. Of course, this is because they are monocots. They grow more similarly to and are more closely related to grasses right so it is a bit of a thing and this is again why there's so much controversy about if this is a technical tree or not and and uh i I think a a big a big helpful thing for people who don't quite understand why a palm is not a tree yeah it's because it doesn't have secondary growth precisely it does not put on rings there are no rings on palm trees so if you cut it if you cut it to its stump it'll just be like I, i mean like a almost like a um a broom head, but like 
a big chunk of broom bristles. Yes, I see what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah. just fibrous stalks and yes. no like actual tree rings. Exactly. And that's what uh, kind of uh, keeps it from being a tree. That is the big, that's the big, big thing. You're 100% right. So a palm, because it doesn't put on tree rings and including our palm, it does not get any larger in diameter once it reaches its maximum size. And I say that with a caveat that I mean it doesn't do that at a normal, predictable rate every single year, like what you'd get with a tree that puts on this secondary growth, either mm-hmm. a dicot or a conifer. What they do is they initially start as a seedling where you have you know, your seed, then one little shoot comes up, and then a little cotyledon goes down. Actually, I'm sorry. Cotyledons are the bits that go up. This has one, which is why it's a monocotyledon, and then it has a radical that comes down uh. and goes into the ground. That's that first initial proto-root that then becomes all the rest of the roots over time. Yeah. So as it grows up, they are in this weird V-shape where they start at the very bottom, right at that initial first little seedling pops up. Then it starts to put on new leaves growing around that first one. Mm. And then it slowly but surely increases its diameter by putting on new leaves. And then that V starts at the very bottom, which is the the kind of point of the V. Mm -hmm. And then as it grows up, it sends out little roots that are adventitious roots is another big difference. There is no traditional kind of branching reticulate root system. Yeah, It grows all adventitious roots that are the same size and diameter. They don't get bigger. They don't get smaller. They just have these weird little roots that come out and then they'll branch. But as they branch, they get smaller. Wow. So it branches and now they are a little bit smaller. And then from those, more branches come out and then they become smaller still. And I think there's four levels that they pretty much go to oh before God. they're down to their smallest amount. Wow. So. The hell? It's, they're very strange plants, but they grow very similar to like bamboo. Everything is just these adventitious roots that pop out this may help increase the diameter a lot of people would see this and say well yeah i mean it's gotten a little bit bigger but that's because the as it's growing this v that we're talking about which there's a for those of you who are not familiar we have a uh, a link that is in our show notes it's called palm morphology and anatomy explains this brilliantly. wow so go to that if you're uh, thinking, I really don't know what they're talking about right now. <laughs> it is hard to describe with words. Yes, it's difficult to explain, but they have a really cool cross section that shows how this is working. Oh, cool. So all of the individual uh, new leaves are put on. It increases the diameter. So the V as it's growing up gets wider and wider until it reaches its maximum diameter. Then it just starts growing upwards with that one single meristem that's got to its biggest point. And then it just grows up. Okay, so let's take like a uh, maple tree. Yeah, puts out a little, a little, uh, a little dicot, two uh-huh. little cotyledons coming out. Yeah. yeah, and then so that the maple tree is growing up yes. at the same time as it's growing out. Yes, so I, it's like a balloon, like filling up a balloon. With yes, air, right. I would. Uh, I think that's very fair, but it's also more like you just put. It's more like a rubber band ball where you're always putting on new layers on the outside. Yes, but I, I guess I'm I'm saying like, you're, are you saying that the palm grows out first and then it grows up? Exactly. So I'm, yeah, I guess I'm saying the comparison being that like a tree will like grow up and it will grow out oh, at the same yes. time. I see what you're saying. Yes, yeah. I gotcha. So this is more like on the, the you're looking at it from afar uh-huh. and the, it's like a balloon expanding. It's like the whole canopy of the tree. Uh, maybe. Yeah, okay. But the, <laughs> so the palm grows out and gets its gets its final diameter. Yep. 
And then it just goes rockets straight up rockets engaged and straight up into the air. Yep. That's it. You got it. How strange. Yeah. It's very weird. Wow. And they're just literal bundles of, uh, of vessels and they have the same stuff. They have xylem and phloem, but they're all in these big bundles and these bundles are what goes up and then is the, the stem for all intents and purposes mm-hmm. of the tree. Wow. But unlike another tree, if you, uh, rather unlike a dicot where on a maple, if you bash into the, into the, the side, you kill the cambium layer right there. That thing is toast. It's never going to grow back. You have to have new bark grow over from the sides and the top. Yeah. On a palm, it does not do that. You can just jam straight into the side. You may kill that little section, but the whole rest of the stem is still actively working. Okay. But it's never going to seal over. It's never going to do anything like that because it's just there and it doesn't have bark. So if you put a wound in it, that wound will be there just like that forever. It's never going to heal over. It's never going to get anything else. That's very grass style too. Grass is like, you know, fast and loose. Like let's fucking grow, die and start again. Right. Begin to happen. Yeah. This is my life. Whereas like a tree, like a, like a big maple tree is like, you know what? I'm going to be here for like 600 years. Take care of my business. I need to like take care of my body. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what this, that's what this tree does. And, and the difference between it and other palms is that it tends to get, really big Mm. so as it is first starting to grow it doesn't get maybe more than 10 or so feet tall in the first 10 or 15 years like it is really a slow growing tree Mm. it's just going to sit there and chill put on new leaves and get wider put on new adventitious roots and it's going to grow down and as it grows up it has these new leaves that come out that are literally up to 20 feet long what they're huge in radius no or like the leaf itself. The whole tw- leaf. Not like not like the canopy no. is 20 feet, like the wingspan. No, like you break off a leaf and you hold it up at the base. What the hell? It's 20 feet long from your hand, which is really, you know, it's actually like they're big. So you have to use two hands, probably a machine because they're really heavy. And then it goes up and out 10 to 15 feet, 20 feet sometimes. That is wild. It's crazy. Damn, that's a big palm. It is huge. So the whole canopy of it really could be upwards of 20 or 30 feet in diameter if you're talking about the entire width of the canopy spread. Casey, can we talk about the pine cone that it grows at the top of its uh, stem? <laughs> I suppose we can, but Alex, are you? I'm not going to let you call it a pine cone. <laughs> what is that? So they that is, that cone is what people call the heart of, oh. the, of the palm. <gasps> hearts of palm. Yes, exactly. I know about hearts of palm. This is the apical meristem. That is the bit that is putting on new leaves, proto leaves, or I'm, I'm sorry, they call them primordial leaves wow ah, very ancient kind of things so yeah. inside of that uh that heart of the palm that is where there are undifferentiated cells these meristem cells mm-hmm. and then those slowly but surely turn into a leaf and then that leaf pops up from the top and then arches down wow so then as it's growing up it will put on new things that come up and then arch down. And then it kind of, the it's again, a kind of triangularly shaped thing. So as it is growing up and putting on all these new leaves, the leaves initially start vertically. Then they slowly kind of fall down because they're a really heavy, but also 
as this triangle of the meristem moves up, then they get kind of pushed to the side. Mm. And then when they're pushed to the side, they're connected more horizontally. And then the whole canopy slowly but surely is like constantly unfurling itself as it goes up. You'll never see this because it happens over the course of decades. Yeah. So it's just very, very, very slow. That is wild. But you can see if you look at certain um, old specimens that haven't been pruned intensely where there is old leaves that are hanging downward. And if they are pruned, a lot of times people see these big poofy green tops and then underneath it, it's almost like there's this cup kind of around the -hmm. the very top portion where there's all these triangularly like lip shaped kind of uh, leaf attachment points is what they They, are. They look just like cone scales. They really do look like cone scales. Like that that Italian stone pine cone sitting next to you. It looks just like that. It looks just like that. I think it looks similar to if you like cut through the cone yeah and the, so the cone scales aren't like fully out but you cut into them so mm-hmm. you like almost almost like cut it in half yeah you know yeah so those on the bottom section those are the old leaves that someone has pruned away so they're perfectly cut off to make all the dead stuff go away and keep only the nice big green stuff at the top and so do those leaf, that marist, the outside of that meristem, uh-huh. it kind of like gets pushed down as the tree grows up? Yes. Well, now that or, you've uh, explained this to me, I think I kind of gave you a little bit of the wrong information. Oh, wow. From the very tippy top is where that triangle of the meristem is that's mm-hmm. putting out the new leaves. That's on the very, very tippy top. Okay. The big cone thing that you're talking about is below all of this. Uh-huh. That is the old leaves that have been oh. cut off. Okay, okay. So it's not necessarily growing up but the middle part of the palm is growing up and all of those palms are now on the side. Okay. So then as the tree gets taller and taller, the older and older leaves start to hang almost vertically down. So if you look at pictures of old trees, there's all these dead branches that are hanging down, especially Mm. in their native habitat or in wild spaces where they haven't been pruned. You'll have all these old trees and really rough bark because that rough bark is actually just made up of the old leaf scars where they were attached. Wow. So these that you're seeing are not the leaf scars. That's the smooth gray bark that's actually called pseudo bark. Hmm. Everything about palms is wrong. Yeah. Just everything is like, well, pseudo bark. Oh, it's a pseudo frond. It's uh, the whole thing is very silly. It just sounds like you're uh, uh, explaining the anatomy of like an alien or something. It feels like it, honestly, because I say bark and I'm like, well, technically it's not bark. Yeah. Anyway, we're just going to call it bark and we're going to call that because, you know, we're going to call it a tree. So we're going to get rid of all the technical, technically, technicality, and we're just going to use the terms the way we normally would. Thank you. So. Casey's, Casey's essentially saying, please don't email us. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Sorry. So the, um, uh, the bark that we normally see is the old leaf scars that have gone away. The weird, like, cone top that you're talking about that's yeah. just below the leaves, those are the old bases of the leaves where they've been cut off. I understand now. Yeah, over time, those two will slowly fall away, yeah. and then that whole section will kind of move up with the rest of it because their connection points, yeah, they just kind of decay. But also, the last bit about how these trees work is that they will, on their parenchyma cells inside the actual stem, because they have parenchyma, Parenchyma. Yes, those are like storage cells inside of wood, but also inside the stems of palms. Say that again. Parenchyma cells are storage cells inside of the stem of a tree, or in this case, a palm tree. Okay. But the difference is in trees that we normally call trees with a capital T, 
those parenchyma cells are the rays that go inwards and they kind of radially shoot out, mm -hmm. but they also are laid down in the same plane as the rest of the tree itself. So essentially longitudinally. Okay. So if you are uh, a tree, you're growing, you have your cellulose and your lignin, you have your phloem and your xylem. You also have parenchyma, which you just store stuff in. It's like parenchyma are the cells that kind of move things around and kind of connect the inner tree to the outer tree. Right. And they're also the storage cells. As you're moving up, you're like, sweet, I'm just going to put this over here. Then I'm going to move up. And okay, I'm going to put this over here. Okay. And, and you store oh, those starches right. and things like that. I think the analogy we made with parenchyma were like the shape of Paris like if you have the center of Paris and uh -huh. that's the heartwood. Yeah. Like the parenchyma are like the streets going out radially. Yes, and those are the those are the ray cells, ray yes. parenchyma. Yes. Yes. Okay. And there's Got also it. parenchyma that goes vertically. Oh wow. Yes. And those are the ones <laughs> that we are talking about. I'm so over this. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's almost done, Alex. It's almost done. I just want to go to Disneyland. Let me go <laughs> just, now. Just tell me about Disneyland. <laughs> First we have to learn about the trees, Alex. School sucks. <laughs> It's Friday. I know you're ready to go. <laughs> I mean, it is our Friday, Casey. It is. That and we've, is true. we've done a lot this week. We have. I am feeling it. <laughs> well, so these cells, this is the last fascinating thing. Most of the cells inside of a tree, of, okay. uh, of the, the wood of a tree, mm -hmm. they die. This right? is a real tree. This is a real tree. This okay. is a tree that makes uh, secondary xylem. This is a, a maple. Yes, the cells die. Yes, the cells die and they stop actually moving stuff up and down. Living cells in the sapwood, they are doing water conducting work. Mm -hmm. They also will every now and then store stuff. As the tree gets bigger, the sapwood cells die. They're no longer functional. They're like coral, where only on the very outside are the living corals. They're, the inside is just the structure that was living coral. We call that the heartwood in exactly. a tree. Exactly. Starts to become the heartwood. So in a tree, that dies, and then it becomes either uh, filled with these extractives, which then change the color and make mm. it more rot-resistant. Therefore, we call it hardwood. Right. Or, uh, rather, in contrast, our palm, in all palms, all of those cells, because they're built so differently, mm -hmm. they never die. Wow. So the, or the vessel cells that are up there in the parenchyma cells, they are living sometimes more than 100 years inside of these trees. Is that why they're able to grow so quickly? Well, that's why they end up getting slightly bigger over time. Hmm. So they're not technically making new rings, but they are slowly expanding because some of those parenchyma cells are still adding cellulose oh. and lignin, so that expands ever so slightly. They're just like bloated. Yeah, and then there's also adventitious roots that will continue to grow out at the base of these trees, which make the base look a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. Interesting, okay. But I just think that's so fascinating that they just never die until you kill that very top meristem. As soon as you cut the top off, the tree's dead. That's really interesting. Yeah. Because a, a tree, if you... Like a capital T tree. Yeah. Let's take a Douglas fir. Mm -hmm. If you chop it off at the base, yes, it will grow back. Uh, well, Douglas firs don't, but yes, most trees, oh. I, I, they would just sprout from the roots. Let me pick another saying. tree so it's not confusing. Yeah. Give me a tree. Uh, the maple tree. You take a maple tree. <sighs> Acer nugundo, the box elder. You take the uh, tree, like one off the top of my head, like a box elder, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so familiar. You chop it at the base, it's yeah. going to keep growing back. Exactly. It'll, new sprouts will come. Because it kind of, the life of the tree kind of comes from the roots. Yeah, that's where it has all of its storage and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But a palm, in almost a comical reversal, <laughs> grows from the top. So if you cut the top off, yeah. it dies. Yes. 100%. That is so strange. It's because it has that one apical meristem, and that's it. That's real. I mean, hey, they call it the heart for a reason, right? Yeah, exactly. Now, there are some other kinds of palms that will have some buds on the side, and that's actually where they fruit or flower. Okay. And then there are others that grow up and maybe will have a new branch that comes out, but so few, like, I mean, almost a handful, and that's it. Palm species will put on growth that's more branch-like. That's very interesting. Yeah. Most of them will always have just that one single stem that will grow up. It'll put out all these things. At some point, it'll also put out flowers. Uh, and this puts out beautiful big flowers and creates droops. So all of its fruit are technically black uh, droops. Interesting. Which is very fun to think about, isn't wow, it? Wow, yeah. So that is a, you know, a little, bit, a little quick thing about Phoenix. Yeah. This there, tree. There's our canary. Well, Casey, can we go to Disneyland now? Fine. Please, yay. All right, let's go to Disneyland. Alex, <laughs> what do you know about Disneyland? Oh, boy, what do I know? Yeah. Um, Let me be more specific. Yeah. What do you know about the land sure. that is now called Disney? Now, I do know that it was, before it was Disneyland, it was a huge tract of uh, orange groves. Yeah, that's right. Orange and walnuts, actually. Yes. That was, like, actively being farmed. And, yeah. You know, um, and then Walt... Uh, bought that land, I suppose, and yeah. bulldozed it and started fresh. Yeah, this is another one of those weird Disney things, one of the things that we found uh, on a website that I think is fun. Um, it's called Walt's Disneyland. It is not Walt Disneyland.com. Disneyland. Wow. This is Walt's Disneyland.wordpress.com. Interesting. So yeah, they're all, they're all fucking blogs. Yeah, everyone loves blogging about this. Man, I found so, so many. But it happens that this is a, a guy named Jim Denny who has a big, just whole bunch of info on all the, the kind of history of Disney. And of course, we could look into all the other histories. But like you said, this is not the point of our podcast is to look in the history in the deep archives of Disneyland. Right. We'll take what, uh, what Jim Denny and other people have already figured out. And we'll, we'll go with that. Well, I should say before orange groves, orange and walnut groves, I have no frame of reference for uh, what this yeah. land was, what was happening on this land. Well, let's start with that. Okay. Because this is an area that became famous for oranges in the kind of, post-World War II era mm. of the United States. Okay. And just like everything, California got really popular during this time. This was when every, you know, all the GIs were coming back and they're like, well, where are we going to live? Everybody wanted to go down to California. The golden age of Hollywood. It, exactly. This is exactly it. Mm -hmm. Now, so just prior to the golden age of Hollywood, like in the mid-20s and 30s, when things were just starting to get picked up in terms of like the, the history of movies and like, wow, we can make all these, we can make all these talks. And no, yeah, this is great. <laughs> this is this whole area was uh, was farm, and the Spanish had come in as early as the I think like 1600s. They had started wow. making contact with different native peoples in this area. Up from Mexico, uh, yeah, they came up from okay. Mexico. Yeah, so they uh, started to make some 
missions in the mid-late 1800s. And the very first one was what was then basically called the Mission of San Diego. And that is now what we call the city, San Diego. Interesting. Over a period of time, people started moving out to uh, this area, and there was, for whatever reason, Hmm. this boom of orange plantations okay where people would bring different oranges over and there's one that got planted that was in the the place that was known as the best for orange groves and that is this small little area outside the pueblo of los angeles (laughs) called riverside oh interesting i believe the santa Ana river okay so the santa Ana river uh historically did not do a whole lot of like irrigation out in the rest of the the kind of area. So like our Willamette River here in the valley of Mm -hmm. the Willamette River in Oregon, it was a wet prairie. So there's lots of different streams and water things that would come down from the mountains on the west and the east. And you would have lots of rivers coming into the Mm. Willamette River. You have lots of little streams and there would be wetlands all over the place. So this was a very wet prairie kind of area. Then it would dry out in the summertime. Then it would get wet again. Very classic Oregon kind of stuff. Very fertile land. Yeah, exactly. Our soil here is very, very deep, all these kinds of things. Okay. Down there, it yeah. was far more arid. And the same native peoples, I don't want to say the same, they were obviously different, but they were doing the same uh, kind of management that native peoples have done since time immemorial in these mm. places, which is essentially light fires and have this kind of fire managed ecology. Right. So in the late mid 1800s, uh, people started coming to California and they found these very interesting oranges and these oranges had another orange that was embryonic inside of the actual big orange that you would eat. Now, this is so fascinating. Yeah. Because I have never put it together what that was. Uh-huh. You're talking about the navel orange. Yes. And the navel orange at its navel, its little belly button, yeah. has another little hard ball of pith. Yeah. That is an embryotic orange. That's exactly right. Like it ate its twin. Pretty much. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's fucking crazy. So hardcore. Wow. Yeah. Casey, you're blowing my mind. The only reason they're called navels is because it looks like a belly button. Yes. Which at the time was called a navel. Yes. So these aren't these aren't uh, these aren't like pirate oranges that they would take um, (laughs) to the navy. No, no, these are navel oranges, like your little belly button. (laughs) They're innies, we know. I always forget the spelling of that, so that's a good way to remember it. Yeah, there you go. It's It's the navel, like your belly button. Navel e l instead of a l, which is. Navy. Of the Navy, yeah. yeah. Which would also make sense, because they cure scurvy. Exactly, right? So, you know, it, it, they just fit all the things. Wow. Naval, naval oranges. <laughs> so, these uh, these funny little oranges, apparently, this one grower got a few um, from the USDA, uh, the, the, the plant folks. This is, again, nascent USDA. It had just started late 1800s. Mm. They're like, we're trying to bring in new plants and all these kind of things from all across the world to see if we can use them in the United States started uh, finding some of these really delicious oranges. And they would try them, and they uh, this grower down in uh, what, again, is this small little Pueblo called Riverside, California, mm. grew and successfully got two of these trees. They had, I think, probably a couple dozen seedlings. Two of them survived, literally two. They grew them up, 
after a couple of years, they put on some fruit. People ate it. They're like, this is incredible. <laughs> These things are huge. They're delicious. They're juicy. It, this is the best orange I've ever had in my entire life. Mm. There became a boom, a like a rush, a orange gold rush in California. Wow. People would go down there from the east and they would create little kind of co-ops and they would work together and they would irrigate their land off of the Santa Ana River. Oh, wow. And they would turn this what would be historically an arid kind of environment into irrigated orchard land filled with oranges. Wow. So does that work how I think it works where you just get teams of men out there digging trenches? Yeah. They made like an 11 foot or 11 mile long uh, canal that apparently went over viaducts or aqueducts, like had a tunnel that was 750 feet long, like some huge amount of engineering work. What a stunning amount of work. Yeah. Engineering and and manual labor too. Oh yeah, it's crazy. It was manual labor, but they did it in the way that you'd expect Americans would do in the late 1800s. So there was uh, quite a bit of Chinese labor. That's right. That probably made literal pennies per person, and many of them died just the same as the railroads. I forgot about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It wasn't great. Damn. But the oranges were delicious. This is the, yeah, this is sort of like a, that's sort of like an analogy for just like America. Yeah. Like, look at all these great things we have. Oh, we sacrificed foreigners to get them, but. (laughs) Oh, God, yeah. You know. That, yeah, we got some coffee this morning before we started, mm-hmm. and I was saying, yeah, you know, Alex, this is a lot of fun. I, I like this topic, but I was reading into the history of uh, Native peoples in California, and, well, that kind of got me in a bad mood. Yeah, yeah. You were in, a, you were in that classic um, colonial funk. Yeah, it's, it's hard to deal with, you know? It's hard <sighs> yeah. to deal with. And it's an unfortunately a, a pretty huge part of our, our topics. It always is, yeah. It always comes back to either the world is ending because of uh, <laughs> natural disasters that, we've, yeah. that we're currently causing or uh, genocide. Right. So, and that is kind of the next level to go back to in terms mm. of the land that is now what we call Disney. Yes, let's take another step back. Yeah. So, before it was these these giant from start to finish, from sea to shining sea, orange groves in Anaheim, Pasadena, all these places, there were native peoples that lived there and were, I believe, quite happy. Mm. I don't know. I, you know, I don't think I've asked anybody from the late 1600s what it was like before the Spanish came. I have a feeling, though, they were probably like, it's nice. Yeah. It was nice. Everyone in, in San Diego today says the, the, the weather's nice. Everything's nice about it here. <laughs> so I can't imagine it would be too different if you could just, yeah. you know, walk down the road, collect it, you know, your seeds, your fruit and all these kinds of things. Yeah. Imagine, have a great time. imagine Southern California, but you take away all the concrete and people. Wow. That sounds incredible. Yeah, really I would live there in a nice. heartbeat, I would totally Casey. do it, yeah. <laughs> so as it happens, um, there were uh, a couple different um, groups of people, but what's fascinating is that the history of the peoples of of Southern California really mirrors the history of peoples everywhere else in the United States. Mm. And of course, down in South America as well, they were all bashed to just the worst degree by not specifically colonialism, but by the diseases that the colonists brought over. Guns, germs, and steel. Guns and germs and steel. It is the classic thing where everyone's like, well, they were all killed by the colonists that were coming over. Well, the answer is emphatically yes. (laughs) It's also that the populations were decimated by like 80% or more in some cases 
by disease that came in because they would also... At the time, the Spanish would come through and make these missions. And in those missions, you were forced to go become Christian. If you didn't, you would get tortured. Obviously, you'd get killed half the time. But then Mm. you would also be forced to live in these weird new environments where the Spanish came and say, oh, no, 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 no. This is all our land. You need to come live in this mission in this way. And so you'd not only be forced uh, to live in a way and eat food that's not your normal means of, of life, but unfortunately, you would also be jammed in close quarters, and that is where disease is rampant. So you have no previous interaction with these diseases. It's just like a new disease right. coming into a new population. It just runs absolutely rampant. We recently uh, experienced that. Exactly. Here. This is uh, the <clears throat> pandemic easily, and like that's just. It, Perfect example. Um, so these, are, these disease, would be another one if we want you know, to talk about trees. Oh sure. Sorry. When do we do that? <laughs> Almost never. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. The, actually, I should say the more accurately, the chestnut blight. I think is more of a, a okay. disease where it's unstoppable. It came through. There's no defense, and all the trees died. Jesus. I think that's about more what more what it was like for these you know eighty plus percent of the peoples who live there. Yeah, these are just diseases that the colonizers are immune to or exactly. have, have immunities to. Yes, it would be, you know, we have, uh, what I think it was like smallpox was one of them. There's mm. also malaria. Yeah. It's like these different things that we would Ugh. constantly have, yellow fever, stuff that mostly has to do with like, well, how do you manage your waste? And what do you have from coming off of this ship that just came from this European country yeah. that doesn't understand medicine or how body works and things like that? And they're like, oh, well, well, in order to cure you, we're going to need to bleed out two pints of your blood. Oh. That'll make you better. And it's like, well, that's actually exactly... Yeah, well, okay, never mind. I'm just, I'm going to skip it and we'll wait a couple hundred years. I'm going to come back and talk to you guys. (laughs) So one of the peoples that were down there that were mostly taking up um, the kind of coastal area between around LA and San Diego Mm -hmm. are the Peyom Coichum, I believe is how it's pronounced. Oftentimes oftentimes today or maybe uh, during this kind of late 1800s era, they were called the Luiseños. Luiseños? Yes. Because they lived near a mission that was called Mission San Luis Rey de Francia, which is Spanish for the mission of St. Louis, King of France. Wow. So they were called essentially the Luiseños, which is the, I don't even know what that means, actually. Well, it's just like a, it's sort of like a... um uh, portmanteau, right? Like a Spanish portmanteau. Oh, okay, okay, yes, that's perfect. Okay, thank yeah. you. I was like, this just means the people of Lewis? That doesn't make any sense. But <laughs> like, yeah, it was yeah. of that spot. So yeah, good point. So it's uh, portmanteau. But uh, well, also yeah, like uh, Año is like a person from this place, kind uh, of yes. uh, suffix. So I think it was essentially these are the people from the mission called yeah. the Saint Louis mission of the King of France, which is ironic because it's also Spanish. I don't yeah. know if ironic is a quite the correct term. <laughs> anyway, let's let's call them what was their what was their original their actual name? Payom Kawachum. Payom Kawachum. I think that's about let's how you use pronounce that today. it. Yeah. So these are the indigenous people of this California area, and they were more or less hunter gatherers. Mm. They they lived in um, in places in this whole area, but like as a kind of territory, and would often eat the food that's down there and they would walk and collect everything because this whole area is just filled to the brim with all sorts of different food plants that you can eat. It's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. And there's also game animals and 
There'd be lots of trading. I'm sure they had some amount of maize that they would get from peoples down in uh, more southern and southwestern kind of areas, mm. down into Mexico, Arizona, that kind of space. Yeah. So it's a very um, uh, interesting history, but it was also, again, it was this arid landscape that had these big rivers, and then you would go a little bit away from the rivers, and then it would be a completely different ecosystem entirely. Is that sort of similar to, like, uh, Central Oregon? Yeah, I think that's probably fairly accurate. It's like yeah. there's lots of rivers, but it's like otherwise pretty dry. Pretty dry, yeah. I think the main difference is down there, you are mostly avoiding freezes. There's not a whole lot of freezing temperatures, maybe in the 40s. Oh, okay. Whereas in, uh, in Oregon, and if you go further east from where we're talking about, uh-huh. it becomes way colder in the wintertime. Is that because it's a high desert? Um, yeah, we have a high desert, and they, on the, the L.A. side of the world, 400 years ago, and, well, to this day, uh, are right next to the ocean. So the ocean helps moderate temperatures. Oh, okay. So it was in this more subtropical Mediterranean climate, but because it's right next to the water, it would not have these massive swings in temperature, where theoretically, even today, it's probably a little cooler and a little warmer during different times of the year than if you go just over further east across the mountains. A little more consistent in terms of the climb. Exactly. Yeah, it's just moderating force, this ocean. People when Casey say people when Casey say climb. Casey, when people say climb, yeah. is that just short for climate? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, pretty positive. I've, I've, that's how I use it. People say that all the time. I'm like, what is that word? Warmer climbs. <laughs> all right. Well, anyway, Alex, so this is um, the kind of interesting thing. So the our tree that we're talking about today uh, is not native to this area. Oh. It is native, of oh, right. course, to, to the, the Canary, Canary Islands. Islands. Right? But... As uh, the Spanish came over and up, wherever they were coming from, Mm. slowly but surely, the native populations got decimated by diseases, and then slowly but surely got decimated as as late as 1903. Wow. There were people being forced out of California who are native peoples, and they were put onto different reservations. And in fact, the Peom Coachum, they're on six different uh, reservations down in California. It's just so endlessly and deeply depressing. It really is. It is mind-blowingly depressing when you think about it, which is why I was like, Alex, can we just go get a cup of coffee this morning? Yeah. <laughs> So this is, um, you know, Mm. they were forced off of their land by hook or by crook, mostly crook. Then that land became the famous kind of like Southern Californian Mexican kind of rancheros, you know? Yeah. Where there'd be missions over here and then these, you know, cattle that are coming up and grazing. Like the the very classic, what we see today is like this pastoral Southwestern Mm. kind of countryside, which again, it has its own kind of cultural things in our Zeigeist. It's kind of visual language down there. Yeah. Like the mission style buildings. Exactly, yeah. The cows out there and the horsemen. Yeah, the the silhouette of the cowboy on the, you know, mule behind him and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, that's pretty much like cowboy stuff, right? Totally is, yeah. And it's funny to think about it, but that is Southern California. Yeah. Southern California is the Southwest, the same as New Mexico and Arizona and Texas, all that kind of space. Right. It's very strange. Interesting. But yeah, we look at it today and it's like the height of culture and fanciness and, you know, cars and concrete and stuff like that. Yeah. It is interesting how fast that happened. Yeah. Right. Those were lightning fast. And it all happened because as all these people got moved, Spanish came in, they planted all these orange groves and everyone went 
fucking crazy for oranges. <laughs> I want to say a word on oranges. Yes, please. Love oranges. Love oranges. I, I know that they grow and are grown in Southern California. Yes. I guess a lot of the oranges we get now are grown in Florida. But I, I think that, I think, and not just because of that, I think that oranges are like so Los Angeles. Yeah, right. They're fresh. They're zingy. They're, they just seem like, they're like a young fruit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. They're, they're, they're there. Yeah. They're, they're like so, that spot. They're also just like so, like their person, the, the personality of an orange is like so youthful and fresh and like vibrant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Most definitely. I know exactly what you mean. It's kind of the perfect fruit for that city. Yeah. Yet completely brand new to that whole region. Yeah. With the addition of our lovely irrigation systems. <laughs> so it happens that of all of those orange plantations, mm -hmm. one of them was owned by one Dumenguez family. Oh, yes. Now, the character from our tale. That is exactly right. <laughs> I found this fascinating. Wow, I can't wait. Our tree, our Canary Island palm was planted, and we know this, in 1896. Which is far before Disneyland. Far before Disneyland. This family was probably one of the first that came over um, and started to irrigate all these lands. I don't want to say the first, because this had been going on for maybe 50 years before this, but when it really started getting going was the late 1800s. Yeah. They came over, the Dominguez, and they got 10 acres, and they started growing oranges. They started growing walnuts. There was three generations that lived on this land. Wow. And the grandparents of the, uh, the, what is now the guy we're talking about, Ron Dominguez, they had that, I believe, as a marriage gift. Someone said, here is a, a plant for you to plant on your land wow. as a gift for your marriage. They planted it. It grows very slowly. So it just slowly over time got bigger and bigger and bigger until it was 15 tons sometime in the late uh, to mid-1940s, 1950s. That's a 30,000-pound tree. Huge. It's just It's so much weight. What the hell? Apparently, they can get sometimes like six feet in diameter, which I can't is even wild. Like, I can't even like process that. Yeah, it's wild to think about. It. It's I mean, just It so also much. makes sense, though, because palms are just like fucking thick and stacked right? in the middle. And, like and they're probably filled with water. Packed with stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, water. Yeah. So they are like, they're big, heavy things. They're yeah. not just like, oh, there's a palm, whatever. It's not a real tree. It's not a big deal. It's like, that's a real tree. It will destroy you if you just let it go. Yeah, if it falls on your house, it's going to push it's, it into yeah, hell. Exactly. It's going to go. Oh, it's going to just like pop in a uh, mole straight down into the hole. <laughs> in the game. Okay. Thank you. Wow. Casey's not an animal abuser. No. So they... Uh, Anymore. They, well, thank you. I, I'm recovering. I have not played <laughs> whack-a-mole in several years. <laughs> so hey, Every time you're at the... <laughs> Every time you're at the arcade, you see it, and you, know, you get like a flash of PTSD. I gotta go. I gotta go. <laughs> Is Dance Dance Revolution here? You guys don't have Dance Dance Revolution? I gotta get out of here. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Casey's in recovery, so usually he just goes to the bar. <laughs> he can't stand arcades anymore. Someone smashes a cockroach on the bar, and you go, oh, God, there's <laughs> no place safe. <laughs> oh, man. So this, uh, this family, the Planet of the Street, they did this. This guy, this obscure uh, producer from uh, Hollywood, came on over and they said, "Hey, uh, we'd, I'd like to buy your land. I'm going to do this cool thing with it." And the Dominguez said, oh, "Yeah, sure, okay, I'll sell it to you." They sold the land. They said on the condition that 
you will not get rid of this tree. Oh, wow. There's also another legend that there's a bunch of other orange trees that were growing on their land and all the other land because this is essentially farmland at the Mm -hmm. time. This was nowhere near what we know today as the cities of Los Angeles. Like, they were just... It was still farmland all over the place. Yeah. It's just crazy to think about. But they said, you may not do this. There's also apparently a bunch of oranges. And legend has it that the bulldozer was colorblind, the bulldozer operator. And there was red and green uh, tags. Yeah. The green tags to Like keep. spray paint tags on the trees. Yeah, well, I think they were actually like wrapped around. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Okay. Because you were supposed to keep the green ones and get rid of the red ones. And he just went right through all of them. Mm. It's one of those things where I think you read that and you're like... I don't know if I believe yeah. that. That sounds like a little bit of an excuse. <laughs> I know. That's like something you think of after you do this bad thing. You're yeah. like, hmm, how can we spin this? Yeah. When did, like, okay, how long did it take you to bulldoze like 30 acres of land? Yeah. And did anyone think, wait, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. And of course they <laughs> throw the laborer under the bus. They do, yeah. Anyway... So they kept this one tree. We know that for sure. Yeah. They then moved it over and uh, they picked it up. But because these uh, palms, they don't grow roots like we were talking about the same way that a normal tree does. Even though they can still grow out some 50 feet or more from the tree, there are all these fibrous roots that just keep on generating from the base. So you can actually plant a transplant, rather, a palm with a tiny, teeny, tiny little root ball and just move it over during, ironically, the hot season. And then when it cools down again, then they'll start putting out more roots. Wow. So they're almost opposite of a tree. Yeah, interesting. It's very funny. You plant that, so they just moved it over, planted it. It's growing just fine. It's still there now, what, 130 years later? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Wow. So it was a wedding gift. It was a wedding gift to the grandparents. Oh, that's very special, Casey. Oh, this guy named Ron Dominguez. You want me, uh, you know what happened to Ron? Oh, Ron? Hmm. What happened to Ron? Yeah. Is he now an animatronic in, in the Jungle Cruise? Oh, God, that'd be so cool. <laughs> that'd be so disrespectful. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know what? When I die, I want to become an animatronic person in the Wall of Presidents. Or Scott Ackerman was talking about how funny it is that they had to include Donald Trump in the Hall of Presidents. Oh, yeah. Uh, <sighs> uh, do you have any idea? You want to guess? Uh, what happened to Ron? Yeah. Well, I feel like it's something really funny and cool. Oh. I don't know. I'm not gonna, I'm he not died gonna in 1960. Yeah, he died in 1960. It was, uh, his family went into complete ruin and all these things. Casey, what happened to Ron? Ron. Ron Dominguez started as a ticker taker. So he sold the land to his uh, wow. to the thing. Then he got a job. It was like a part-time gig, basically, just doing tickets at the very beginning, which is funny because his the house he grew up in, they didn't demolish. They moved over with another house, and it became like the administrative buildings. So he would then, as, a, as an employee on the land that used to be the one that he grew up on, and so did his parents and his grandparents owned, mm. they, he rather, then worked there and would walk back into his old family house as like his office. Wow. And then worked his way up without, it doesn't seem like he had his eye on like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Just kept on getting promoted until he became literally the vice president of operations or the vice president period of Disneyland. What the hell? He is a like a world famous like high up executive of or was. I think he did actually die some years ago. He was a famous executive of Disneyland. 
That's incredible. If you go to this day somewhere on Main Street, there is Orange Grove Property Management in a sign. And underneath it, it says Ron Dominguez, owner and operator. Wow. Or owner or something like that. Wow. And that is a callback to the land that is now Disneyland that was owned by Dominguez. And he also literally ran that whole entire park for like 25 years. That's wild. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? My, my initial thought, I mean, my cynical brain was like, oh, you know, when you said this obscure producer, you meant Walt Disney, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, my, my cynical brain was like, Walt went over there and kind of like bullied him or like, uh-huh. you know, called like the Frank Sinatra of their day when like had him, you know, I've got mob ties, oh, sell me this fucking land. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and maybe the, that Ron was like, uh, you know, uh, resentful yeah, toward Disney or yeah. something. Forced out and things. Yeah. But if he got not only got a job there, but then worked his way up to VP, yeah, it seems like he had a pretty good relationship with the powers that be. With Walt Disney, yeah, yeah. yeah at that, I guess at that point, the powers that be was Walt Disney it was himself. The Walt, yeah, um, yeah. That's wild, Casey. Casey, I just looked it up, and Ron Dominguez died on January first, two thousand twenty-one. Really? So just a few years ago. Just a few years ago. It's yeah. so like it's insane to think about. In that one person's lifespan, there was a farm of oranges and walnuts Mm -hmm. that he grew up in, his parents grew up in, in this weird Southern California place that not 50 years before that. So in his, the, the time that his parents and grandparents were alive, there were probably still native peoples walking around in this area doing their thing. Mm. And then he sells that property in the late 1950s and then has 70 years of life to watch it become what it has become. Wow. That's just it's, it's stunning to me. Yeah, that's a big life, you know. Yeah, what Disneyland is today or what it was 2 years ago mm-hmm. versus it being Oh yeah. a an orange grove yeah. with a house with a small woodlot kind of this, you know, a, a homesteading kind of family. I feel like that would just like turn you crazy. Like to Uh, see change that big and that fast must have just been like really profound to him. Yeah. Unless he just didn't think about it that much and was like, yeah, it's my parents' land. I don't give a shit. I guess that's true. I mean, he was working on it for so long. I don't know. Yeah. But But he was young when he, when he sold it. Yeah. Yeah. Very young. I don't know Mm. if his uh, parents were still around or what happened with that, but I have not read anything. Again, it could be Disneyfied. Anything nefarious sure. with this, and I, I think well, I'm, if I'm there with was, your... it for sure has been scrubbed from history. Yes, and you would think that Ron would be like, "I hate you guys. This is awful." Instead yeah. of being like, "Yeah, now I'm just going to run this whole right. empire." Yeah. You know? yeah, and he had no deathbed confession that we know about. <laughs> no, nothing we know of. Yeah, but you know, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll find out someday. Wow, Ron Dominguez, R.I.P. Yeah. So the Dominguez palm tree is still there. You literally, Alex Croson, mm-hmm. can go see it next week or whenever you're actually going to be yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in relation to what we're doing today, you saw it last week, I think. <laughs> yes. But. I will I will spend some time with that palm, and I will give thanks to Ron for yeah. his contribution to culture. There you go. And if you ever happen to see that tree, uh, or you're not sure, look at almost any other gigantic, big palm with palmate, with pinnate, 
fronds, yeah. that is probably going to be this exact tree. Wow. Yeah. I. You know what? I, I completely skipped over something, Alex. What was it? At the end of the fronds, it's yeah. a, it's pinnately compound. Uh-huh. So they have leaves that come out left and right, left and right, left uh-huh. and right. At the very base, those leaves get modified into sharp spines. Oh, wow. Yeah, I just thought about that, and I was like, <laughs> I never told anyone. Oh, my God. That is the perfect Casey Clapp epilogue. <laughs> yeah. This nice little bow, and then you, you sit back, and you smile, and you go... By the way, one thing that I forgot to say <laughs> is this really minor Whoops. detail about yeah. this tree. <laughs> <laughs> the leaves are covered in spikes. Later. Well, Casey, what a what a marvelous tale and not as depressing as I thought it was going to be. I mean, we we disnified it ourselves in a way. Oh, I'm sure we have. Yeah. We I think arbitraried it a little. Yeah, yeah um, arbitrary. It. We'll talk about it, but we're going to end with a we're going to end with a funny thing. <laughs> and that funny thing might be our review which comes after our break. We will be right back with our review of the Canary Island date palm right after this. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. That was our discussion of Disney and land and the Canary Island date palm. Yes, that's right. Casey, it's time for our review of the Canary Island date palm. Yes, and here's how it works. We're going to have some final thoughts on this tree and then give it a rating of 0 to 10 golden cones of honor. Casey, as our resident expert, we will begin with you. Excellent, Alex. Thank you. I happen to think that this is a tree that's worth it. I think it's wow. awesome. I like palms because they they grow differently. And I happen to think that even though they aren't a tree in a traditional tree sense, it just for me calls into question, well, then what exactly is your traditional tree sense? Because wow. this feels like it fits a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. You're not using the wooden in the traditional way, but how many of you do? Wow. Anyway, sorry. Now a bunch of people sitting in my apartment that Casey's addressing. Yeah. And none of them said a single word just then. <laughs> that was really weird, you guys. It was really weird. Um, yeah, so I think I that see. I think that as a tree, I, I think this this even counts more than a lot of other palms. The reason I think that is because it's big. Like, mm. It gets huge. I think I've read that one of the tallest ones is like between 120 and 30, 120 and 130 feet tall. That's absurdity. It's huge. You do love a big tree. With one single stem. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And they grow really wide with this kind of very slow, strange, grow new bundle here, add new lignin there, kind of just get a little bit bigger and a little stronger. But what I love about that is that they're like apparently way stronger than a normal what we would call a normal tree yeah for the most part i think that's pretty cool Mm. that they are physically able to take conditions that other trees would topple under wow so that i think is pretty sweet i like this tree in particular because it grows in a lot of different regions and is kind of one of those archetypal trees where you may not know what kind of tree that is you may not walk around and say oh look at that it is a phoenix uh that's a kind of tree not a bird Even if you do that and everyone slaps you afterwards, <laughs> you still recognize that there is this like very archetypal sort of tree that represents tr- 
tropic represents yeah. you know exotic locales mm-hmm. this is the tree for all of that totally which is why you probably had a seed of it down in southern california to begin with to give to the dominguez so i think that's pretty cool i like that the 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 look of the whole tree i think as a as palms go the look of the canary island date palm mm-hmm. is far more handsome than most other palms totally and i just really think that that is is something that needs to be honored. Yeah. As opposed to all the other palms. So, for my review today, I'm going to frame it in mm. the in relation to palm trees. <laughs> so it's not going to be of all the trees in the world, yeah. I give this one that because it's, they're like a they're like a separate thing. It's pretty good yeah. for a palm. Exactly. Yeah. I think this one is great for a palm. Totally. I'm going to give it a 9.0. Wow. All right, it, Case. I think it's fascinating. Love that. You could only make it better if the dates were actually edible. All uh, right, Casey. Yeah. Well, 9.0. I'm going to go 9.0 because I think it's a cool tree. That's amazing. Uh, Casey, I, I I I don't mind palms. Yeah. You know, everybody, I walk down the street, people yell, hey, palm hater. I go, hey, Whoa. that's not fair. It's really weird that they do that to you. Like, <laughs> In my terrible Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, most people, uh, most people, when they recognize me, they're like, hey, you're a, uh, um, you know about trees, right? And I'm like, I, yeah. No, clearly they know that you're a palm hater. Yeah, I'm sorry. it's true, Casey. It's true. It's okay. It's my burden to bear. Um, I, I don't mind palms. I like palms. They're great. They remind me of Mario, Super Mario Sunshine on the GameCube. Oh, yeah. Which is a great game, and there are plenty of palm trees in it. Uh, they also remind me of real-life things. Um, <laughs> like so, palms. Like palm trees. trees. Yeah. My hand. <laughs> um, I, I, uh, I think I'm more of a... I think I'm more of a pinnate palm guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They look a little more structured to me. Yeah. The palmate palms are kind of a mess. Like so many of those, so many palms in general, I think, can just turn into like this big bundle of shit. I'm just like, yeah. oh, it's so ugly to look Oof, at. God. But the Canary Island date palm is handsome. It's a handsome looking tree. And I love that heart, that, mm. that big knob in the top. Yeah. It just adds some like kind of visual variety. Mm-hmm. It's it's very well designed. And finding out that they're so big and heavy is, is kind of interesting to me. Yeah, you like that. Um, and it makes sense too. It kind of reminds me of the inside of a palm kind of reminds me of like rope. Like yes. if you take out a little strand, you can just like break it with your fingers. But when you combine it and they're all compact and like yeah. tight in there it just becomes like this fucking unbreakable you know yeah 100 foot tall motherfucker apparently people describe them very often this the way i describe also other wood where you have this uh cement with reinforced rebar yeah. inside yeah apparently these are way more accurately that okay because they don't get wider at all they just build up so they have everything yeah but they don't continue to add more strength on the outside right i mean it's like a skyscraper you know it's yeah. like this yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe an engineer we could talk to an engineer and they could tell us why trees are like buildings or something mm, i think actually uh they would tell us why buildings are like trees that's a good point so i love the dominguez family love that whole story um i can't wait to see this tree Give it a pat on the husk. Casey. Love that. I give the Dominguez palm, as I will now be calling it, a 9.2 Golden Cones of Honor. A 9.2? And with that. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm so surprised that we both gave it such high, high ratings, honestly. And with that, because you and I both rated this tree 
Yes, this tree. 9.0 or higher. I will be playing the induction theme into the Golden Arboretum of Honor. Can you imagine this being someone's first episode? Oh, yeah. They're like, what is <laughs> happening? Um, so we say to you, the Canary Island date palm, which I believe that we should start a petition to change the common name oh, yeah? to the Dominguez palm. The whole, all of them. Yes. They're all Dominguez palms. Yes. Okay. Sounds good. We honor you. Was With a little tag. No, that, no, that was gorgeous. Not Geppetto. Geppetto's <clears throat> the dude. Uh, the, the cricket. Jiminy Cricket. Jiminy Cricket. When you wish upon a star. Exactly. Well done. <laughs> Do well, you think this episode will, will uh, this will be the, the beginning of our journey to become Disney adults? Mm, no. Great. Not mine. Certainly. <laughs> Not mine either. Casey, <laughs> that was our discussion and review of the Canary Island Day Palm. Hey, it's time for a question. As every week, this question is coming from our Patreon, patreon.com slash arbitrarypod, A-R-B-O-R-T-R-A-R-Y pod. It is a subscription support service, different tiers for different budgets, and you support this podcast and get awesome rewards. One of our levels is the Q&A tier, Quercus and Alder, where you get to ask questions that have a chance to get on the podcast, and if not on this podcast, they are answered in a big marathon Q&A Patreon episode. The best. That you will have access to. Casey, this week, our question comes from Katie. Hello, Katie. Hi, Katie. All right, what do we got today, Alex? What is, what's Katie looking for? Katie says, a friend of mine mm-hmm. says that the red oak in his parents' front yard mm-hmm. in Wisconsin okay. tends to drop half of its leaves in the fall and half in the spring. Why Uh, does this happen? Yes. This is a lovely question. Thank you, Katie. This is uh, very classically known for oak trees. And in fact, trees in the oak family, which is really the chestnut family, which is really the beech family, Hmm. Fagaceae. Right. So these trees tend to do something called marcescent. Marcessin. Marcessence, I should say. Marcessence. Yes, which I think I actually probably should even completely change my syntax. They have a trait that we call marcessence. Marcessence. Yes. Interesting. So what that means is that the leaves, even though they have been chemically uh, shut off and the tree has gone dormant, they do not physically break ah. off from their, their twigs. Casey. Yes. I'm reminded of... Um, the cones on a larch tree. Yes, I think that is a fine analogy, but it's not exactly accurate in terms of what's happening. Okay, marcescence is more leaf-based. It's 100% leaf-based, okay. yes. So um, you're talking about serotony sometimes, mm. where the cones stay nice and tight and they sit there. Sometimes they'll fall onto the ground and stay nice and tight until a fire or some really large heat source comes through, mm-hmm. like, say, climate change. <laughs> and then everything goes, and they pop open all their seeds hit the ground after the fire and then they've now reseeded in a beautiful uh burnt over landscape 
But that is not this. It is not this. Marcescence. Marcescence. So this is the uh, the term for when a tree is just still has leaves in its canopy throughout the wintertime. They only drop off the next spring when two things are happening. One, the buds are flushing. So there is a new kind of expansion of tissue in that like right where the leaves are connected. Oh, wow. Because remember, a leaf comes out right below a bud. The right. bud is the thing that's right above a leaf. So as that bud starts to get a little bit bigger and starts to actually expand because it's putting new fluids and it's about to burst and become a new leaf or a new shoot or a new fruit or whatever, this kind of forces that leaf mm. to kind of go pop and just kind of pops off. Says it's my turn. Exactly. But it also happens because the twig itself is expanding ever so slightly. It's putting on its new ring of growth. Mm. So as that expands, the cells are more or less uh, connected physically, but chemically they've actually been cut off. So the tree's right. compartmentalized away. That was my question was like, is a leaf, when we say a leaf has been cut off, yeah. the, the resources in that leaf, mm -hmm. the sugars and all that mm -hmm. have been sucked out of the leaf yep. into the stem exactly. to be stored for the next spring. Mm -hmm. The leaf, that's why leaves change color. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> the leaf then is just kind of like hanging out inert yeah. on the tree. The cells have died. It's just this 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 husk of what it used to be. But there's no physical like compartmentalization that the tree goes through uh, at the at the base of the leaf. It's it, saying yeah. this leaf is now we we're shutting the blast doors. They do that. It's called the abscission zone. Oh wow. Yes. So there is this, but it's it's not like quite as obvious as like there's no door that shuts. Uh -huh. It's more like the cells that normally would be conducting things, mm -hmm. one just kind of stops. In that zone, it just kind of says, okay, cool, and they just break up the entrance. Okay. And now everything is no longer flowing back and forth. I got it. But they just brick it up. They don't actually close everything and, like, cut off what else is there, like, physically. It's just like saying, we're inside of this pipe. This pipe keeps going in forward into the leaf, and behind us is the twig. They just cut off everything inside of that pipe, but the physical pipe is still there. I got you. Going out into the leaf. Yeah. I got you. So during, um, during the fall, a lot of times the freezing point is really what causes this. This happened so perfectly a couple of years ago in the coast range of mm. Oregon where there were a bunch of big leaf maples. They had all turned beautiful yellow color and everything was just chilling. And then the very first night that it got below freezing the next day leaves were falling like confetti wow and that's because the individual cells had a small amount of water in that the cells connecting that abscission zone from the stem to the leaf so as soon as the the uh water freezes water is coinc i don't want to say coincidentally but curiously one of the only uh, substances that when it freezes, it actually expands. Mm -hmm. So when it expands ever so slightly, it breaks all of the cells that are holding it, wow. they're holding the leaf to the other thing. So after this happens, often you'll see those leaves crack off and break because now the, the foundational cells holding everything together are kind of functionally broken. But with Marcesson's, some of them stay there? Exactly. Okay. And, they, and then those do. just come off in the spring. Yeah. When, when at the at the sort of opposite point 
of the freezing night yeah. where like the tree is like, hey, it's the first day that's warm enough to start really cooking. Yeah. Then it starts filling up and literally physically expanding the twigs. And because those expansions are happening now, when you used to have the perfect shoe and the perfect foot, now the shoe is the same size, but the foot's growing a little bit bigger. So it kind of rips open. Yeah. And then that leaf falls away. It's a tree, almost like a tree's version of spring cleaning. Yeah. I think that's very accurate. Get rid of the trash. Start fresh. Don't need this anymore. Now here's the real question. Why? Why are trees doing this? Magic. Nobody knows. The magic is the only good answer. Some people say, well, it helps with keeping the, the tree and the buds a little bit warmer. No. Something like that. I also don't think that's that be- so minimal and lame. Like it, that yeah. wouldn't make any difference. It also doesn't um, explain like you can't look at all the trees and say, ah, all the trees that are mercescent do this, live in this mm. area. There's a pattern that you can notice. Somewhat random. I think it's one of those random, curious, that's just the way it grows kind of things. Yeah, I kind of think the same thing, That honestly. is just lost to knowledge that nobody knows and maybe will never know. Yeah, I think that's probably accurate. Now, of course, this is a question that we answered. I have not dived into why this is. Well, There's probably some other theories out there, but yeah, for the most part, I think you you're, you're, pro- you're spot on. Thank you so much, Katie, for Great your question. interesting question. If you've got a question for us, like I said, join up on the Patreon uh, it is the best way to support the podcast next to buying a piece of merch on our merch store on our website, yeah. arbitrarypod.com or, uh, I don't know, Venmo me. Um, <laughs> uh, of course, the crown jewel, of course, the crown jewel of our Patreon is the Cone of the Month Club. Mm-hmm. We send you every month a cone sticker Yeah, illustrated by a different artist. They're very beautiful. Each one's unique. A different species every month. A different artist every month. And we will never repeat. No. No. <laughs> they all come with a little info card so you can learn, learn a thing or two about that species. And they're sent to your physical, actual mailbox every yeah. month. So you can stick them on a physical, actual mailbox. That's right. Just to be clear. It's so meta, dude. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> uh, it's the best way to support the podcast. We have a lot of fun doing it. So check out our Patreon if you're interested. In, if you get to the end of your month and you've heard four free episodes of Completely Arbitrary mm-hmm. that have sparked, say, a dozen conversations with friends or coworkers, and you think, hey, that was worth $10. Yeah. That was worth $5. That was worth $3. Think about uh, think about chipping in and joining the Patreon. Yeah, you don't have to do it forever. No, but uh, there is you should do there it is small print. There, there is small print. Hi, welcome. Thank you for your soul <laughs> joining completely arbitrary Casey, Month Club. You do have a devil on your T-shirt yeah, right I, now. I guess that's true. Whoops. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Uh, Casey, clap. Alex Croson, another spectacular episode. Thank you. I hope you had fun down in the great Californian adventure. Thank you. I'm sure I will. Yeah. Or did. Huh? (laughs) When are we? Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Completely Arbitrary. Hey, we'll see you next time. Goodbye. See you later. Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp. Our artwork is by Jillian Barthold, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals. And you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. And find additional readings at completelyarbitrary.com. Thanks for listening. 